Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Periodically throughout the entire 190 episode series that is the Practice Podcast, my son Dave and I record conversations focused largely on his one of his practices, which is to make pretty much a continuous study in search of the understanding of social inaction that was his major uh, work when he finished his, his dissertation. But there are elements of social inaction that, are, that dovetail perfectly into the question of practice. So we've been having these conversations and this one takes us to another level because he has found a book, an author, uh, whose work in the area of the nature of consciousness is uh, very promising. So that's what we'll be talking about. But I think you're going to hear how this conversation breaks us into what goes on moment to moment as people are striving to achieve whatever purposes they, they have in mind. In other words, practice. So here is uh, my favorite son and my only son, Dave Huron. Well, I'm delighted that we're uh, able to continue learning about uh, aspects of social inaction that uh, have, in this case, much to do with our uh, neuro neurology, our neural systems. Uh, Dave has much better words than I, but Dave uh, has uh, continued to his interest, long, long time interest in all matters of how the brain and the consciousness and everything related to that um, works with a question mark, because it's going to be a question that probably won't be answered for another century. But in the meantime, uh, it does lay, lay into what uh, we started in this series at the very beginning, where we talked about what happens in conversation. And essentially, there's one mind lined up and another lined up, and then something happens that they start taking turns sharing their thoughts. And so under the hood of that is a lot of what has interest Dave and continues to interest him. So what are we going to talk about tonight, Dave? Well, um, I wanted to return um, to what we discussed in episode 174, where um, we were taking inaction, the inaction model that we've been talking about all along and getting into um, uh, neuropsychology, neurophysiology with the work of um, Gerald Edelman. I noticed I was, I was calling him Harold Edelman in the last podcast. His name is Gerald Edelman. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, and Gerald, we appreciate yes, his descendants. Um, <laughs> but uh, your, your podcast is Practice? Question mark. Yes. And I think one of the things we've been doing in our series of talks is actually answering that question and trying to figure out exactly mm -hmm. what it is. And we've looked at all different elements, um, mostly starting from the nature of conversation and talk. Mm -hmm. And then in that other episode, drilling into the brain. And 
and one of the reasons you know, part of this has been kind of the, the the tour of my eclectic studies from college through through graduate school and one um early in the in, in some of the prior episodes i talked about um not only how i started um uh it took a it took some neuro neurophysiology classes in, in the uh, last few years of college mm -hmm. um but i also did a senior project where i was um combining that with uh social psychology and in particular the the um pragmatist philosopher george herbert mead which i describe on episode oh i just had it here um oh no i lost the episode one of our episodes 50 something <laughs> yeah it was it was quite a quite a way back it were at yeah 190 right now so yeah but and, i i remember that very well yeah and so in the odd course of things had at that time i was pulling together um some of the systems theory um work that that i had been did another we did another episode on Ilya Prigogine and and mm -hmm. um other um systems theories about self-organization and that kind of worked into my graduate work as well so what the odd thing is had i kind of gone instead of sociology into neuroscience with all these ideas I would have found myself in an alien world where where the the theories at the time didn't really deal with um either the system dynamics or their implications or or topics that i was interested in which was the nature of um social interaction and also to the degree that how, how the mind works and mm -hmm. and consciousness and subjectivity it's still uh, I, I had I gone into that direction only within the last 10 years or so with I think the 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 paradigm shifts now to where that perspective seems to be I don't know if it's tipped the scale on popularity but it's 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 definitely has a lot of traction um and with including a number of um of the most highly cited um Neuro, neuroscientists are are coming into these ideas as there are the applied ones getting into AI and building finally those robots that will computers that will we could talk to and they'll they'll talk back and know what we're talking about yeah where well, things that, get scary, maybe that's but. what maybe that's what kind of kicked it all up you know the that the uh when the people wanted to create something that thought like a human and acted like a human AI you know and and they we used to talk about well they'll maybe they'll train this little puppy toy you know to respond to voice commands but mm -hmm. as as they saw the mechanics which i assumed that was prior to you know this 10 years was looking at more at the mechanics of the brain the wiring of the brain the heat all, all the things mm -hmm. that could be observed and measured um they looked at the other things that interested you probably and said yeah you know it's soft yeah, it's, it's it's not it's not uh science but yeah brains but, are machines they they should be understood like machines and right and, and certainly and circuits they didn't want to talk about the mind as having mm -hmm. something to do but the good news is uh they commercialized an awful lot of what they're trying to create and in terms of machines that learn and uh therefore those who 
contribute to the ideas and thoughts now and research uh probably i'll listen to a little bit more and that will mean that you're being listened to <laughs> yeah well uh, yeah i mean well i i think there's some convergence around and 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 one of the odd things was uh having uh, shortly after doing that podcast on gerald adaman his work being mostly in in the 90s and, and late 80s when i mm -hmm. ran into it um i was the uh the magic of uh, YouTube algorithms delivered me um, a, a, a few more recent works, um, one of which was a book by the person I'll talk about tonight, uh, Mark Solms, S-O-L-M-S. Mm -hmm. um, he's a uh, neuropsychologist um, and also trained as a, as a, uh, as a um, psychoanalyst in the Freudian tradition as, as, as a way of, um, uh, reconciling um how he got into neuroscience and and trying to get into the um even what freud was talking about uh in his er with what he could do in those early days with what what little was known about the brain um mm. kind of like like george herbert mead at the at the turn of the 20th century there was a lot of of innovative thinking even with freud that that still resonates well with current neuroscience, and mm. and so Mark Solms uh, wrote wrote a book called the The Hidden Spring. Um, I think it was published twenty nineteen, and um, I've been slowly going through it. I've got like um, over fifty pages of notes, and because wow, that's just, a good book. <laughs> it, it, well, yeah, but for me, it could just it just filled in all those blanks, a lot of the blanks uh, that that we've been talking about all our podcasts around mm -hmm. self-organization and and the brain and emotions um and and potentially getting into you know what we talked about with the social bond and the nature of 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 that so what i'm going to try to do is um start with summarizing some of the main points in his book and making some connections some initial connections with what we talked about before and then I think we'll do another podcast on one of the um, uh, uh, neuroscientists that, that he worked with um, more recently in doing this book, um, uh, Carl Friston, who um, had a had a very interesting approach to um, that ties in more more directly with what I've been talking about with self organization um, and living systems. What I'm doing is I'm kind of doing his. He did a, um, a an epilogue for the for the book that that summarized all his main points luckily it's because he was putting them together for a conference talk and figured he just put them in his book so that's been very helpful so i kind of go through those points and try to explain okay. as as i go so he um his he's he's um based in south africa um and has been a practicing psych psychiatrist but but um uh, heavily researches neuroscience um and as i said he was kind of inspired to to agree by by freud who proposed a biological basis for consciousness um but at the time there you know there wasn't enough neuroscience to to even understand what memories were or, or anything like that but mm. but the the problem of what is consciousness is has been um referred to as the hard problem and and some uh such as david chalmers in 
five kind of coined this term the hard problem of consciousness like as good as neuroscience could be that he he and and, and others feel that it's, it's just you, you in all that detailed search circuitry you can never really capture what subject to subjective awareness is of experiences or how it works how it is to to know what it feels what it feels like to to um have vision or or um you know the color red or um you know really explain how it all works and and to some and when we talked about george herbert mead and and others and and the nature of language we've, we've talked about aspects of consciousness but there there are still some nuts and bolts even when, when we talked about um gerald edelman and neuronal groups and such mm -hmm. as that how how does subjectivity and consciousness really arise and what um what psalms has um pointed out is that one of the key things that are never really looked into and taken taken seriously is what's the nature of emotions and, and affect and as a big part of your research and your yeah doctoral, and he, your doctoral and, studies emotions. yeah and so and also in relation to that well how is a brain a self-organizing living system uh and, and how does that matter for for consciousness so um he if you think about conscious awareness our subjective awareness um you know it's pretty clear that it's something that kind of emerges through functions of the brain that by and large are automatic and there's a lot of just automatic things that that we don't that we aren't consciously aware of they're either in kind of the periphery of awareness but really they they um they kind of have to function automatically from habit from reflexes sure. but also um you know talk talk is a is a very good example where we're talking to each other but we 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 couldn't even try to focus on what are the nature of all the phonemes and and bits and then the deeper meaning of each word um that that goes into being able to just rattle off words and understand each other and mm -hmm. and just about every action has has um all of these um you know sensory and motor um uh relationships that don't re necessarily require direct conscious experience mm -hmm. um but he points out that um affects or feelings so felt feelings are, are different from for example the visual system where you know it, you know if you if you look at a door frame your you know various a number of systems in your brain are putting together the vertical and the horizontal lines and the colors and everything to assemble the experience of a door but it takes that um you know some something more to 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 be able to name it as a door and act towards it as a door but with but with um feelings you actually feel them you feel them every time there there are always subjective experiences and and there's something different about that 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 given that feelings must be part of any conscious experience um he's looking at how affect may be what actually accompanies any cortical activity any 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 other brain activity that would include subjective awareness so that if we are conscious of something we are having um something going on with our emotion systems and and we talked a little bit about where those are there they um are 
you have the neocortex, the gray matter, where mm -hmm. where so much attention is focused on oh the secrets of of consciousness must be in here, but no, it's down um, in the in underneath those layers. You have the limbic system, but even beyond that, you have the brainstem. Mm -hmm. um, and and in the um, upper brainstem, there's a tiny region called the reticular activating system. It's the size of a match head. And if that area is damaged, that's where consciousness seeks. You are in a coma, you're gone. Wow. But um, people can have massive just damage and disruption to their cortex and still be conscious that they had, he described some patients. I think he even worked with some who had, um, um, you know, like 90% of their cortex was just gone. And they're, you know, so they're chug chugging along with like 10% of their cortex. And yet they're conscious. They're able to do quite a, they're able to talk and, and have self-consciousness, know, understand themselves, know what's going on. They've got problems here and there, but they're still, you describe them as not having lost consciousness because they've lost so much of their, their, their gray matter. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, babies is a, there's a type of disease, um, I, I should have written it down. Um, it's not encephalitis, but hydro hydrocephalitis isn't where the brain gets there's. Yeah, this is like the I think it's the opposite of that. So so, but basically, the babies are born without any cortex. Oh basically yeah, just born with a brain stem. Yeah, but if, if you if you look at them, they're still you can still describe them having having kind of a, a conscious type. Um, awareness and reaction to the world is mostly reflex uh, but it's also emotion though though mm -hmm. um you know they fuss when they're um mm -hmm. uncomfortable and like they had, he had like a little little girl when when the, the her baby brother was put on her chest she she um uh expressed joy and um oh so all from the all from that little uh, yeah and those, she'll never yeah the, those babies will never speak um and and you know those higher activities aren't there but there's still this core of what i think could probably be called um consciousness so so this and the other interesting so so just you know right there the importance of 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 affective feelings is 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 certainly there but he looks more at well what what is it that's that affect is doing um it he frames it um as one of one of the essential parts of the brain and human and and the living uh living animals including humans as as self-organizing systems hmm. um and we talked about those with um Ilya in the episode with Ilya Prigogine mm -hmm. where um any living system could be described as, as self-organizing. It, it's operating in, um, it's a system of which is parts, um, operate in a limited set of states um, with, with the functions that are essentially um, dissipating or removing entropy. They're, they're, they're adjusting to uh, the environment that, that um, they encounter in a way that, that uh, decreases the destructive activity or the, or the potential um, basically chaos that would dis disrupt their essential um, set mm -hmm. of components. So um, looked at as, as a whole, then an, an animal or person would be um, would be maintaining a 
what he calls homeostasis, um, mm. what Prigogine will call kind of a far from equilibrium stable state, but but you can describe it as homeostasis too too far in one direction, even if, you, if your body temperature too high or too low, you're dead. So the biological organism is was doing things preserving, yeah, something like that. The priority airflow is a priority, uh, food food and such a priority, and and the you know, evolution um built up around um the the uh the signals for uh problems in homeostasis um so for um so you could think of it as a self-organizing system oriented to to survival of, mm -hmm. of the whole mm -hmm. um and this survival imperative gives a an intentionality, um, a kind of a goal of operation to the continued ex existence of, of the biology as a whole, and also the brain and parts of the brain that, that sustain, sustain the, the whole. Um, and you can think of this as, as a type of a subjective function, because, um, if you have self oriented action in relation to an external world, that's defined the world being defined in part by that very action, that interaction with the world. It kind of, you could think of it as generating a point of view within mm. the system itself, kind of mm. an observer to the systems to which um, the organism is coupled um, in this, mm -hmm. in this really close structural causal way. So, um, so, I mean, that's a property of any living systems, but within the the brain in particular affect are really um evolved to maintaining those homeostatic balances um in which um they're registering deviations from from um a, a range of perturbations which you can describe as as responses to to bodily needs mm -hmm. um and so uh it lends to these needs this um you know it's kind of these these the ranges from that might be felt in some cases as pleasure or unpleasure good or bad mm -hmm. things that are happening but um with emotions you 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 see that these different needs are ca are categorized like hunger um uh need for breath reproduction with affects that go go along with them yeah they have distinctive qualities and and so um there's a a number of uh affect he he um he, he kind of summarizes what what general agreement around the core affects that we all live with constantly um there there are seven of them mm -hmm. that he lists um they are um uh lust rage fear uh panic or grief care like caretaking play which is an interesting one um meaning yeah. basically the the need to we could talk about that later but the the, the need to actually um socially interact to some degree and mm -hmm. then there's another one called seeking oh. um and which oh. is which is kind of like a general curiosity that kind of keeps us um oriented toward towards um the new something new yeah um basically he, he he describes it as um as kind of almost like a foraging so an animal will mm -hmm. it, even if it's if if it's finished eating 
and there's still food there and he's satisfied, he might still have the seeking uh, instinct to go look for more food, make sure the environment will still buy <laughs> something for the future when if the food runs out. So, yeah, and that extends kind of into all sorts of aspects. Um, we had talked, yeah, we had talked about shame and guilt and, and pride. He kind of lists those as possibly composite emotions, hmm. uh, combinations of these basic ones. And he didn't get too much into it. I'm gonna, uh, uh, I might look into more of that, um, for a later podcast and see how we can, what we can make of it. But, um, but really this, this sense of affect that are arising with perturbations to, uh, the, the system's homeostasis um mm-hmm. one aspect of it which has really come to be a um i think the dominant model even in, in cognitive uh, cognitive psychology is that we're thinking of this as an error in predicting prediction activity ah. um so if if you have a system that's kind of keeping within normal bounds one way it's doing it is constantly predicting um, what needs are relevant that might be coming up. Mm-hmm. That's the seeking part, I guess. Yeah, or just in general, anything is kind of projecting what would keep the uh, system within normal bounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and then encountering the the real world in which there's always novelty. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, a lot of the uh, relationships among the the this core brainstem area and the limbic system and the rest of the of the brain is around exchanges of prediction errors. Um, so, yeah, um, and I, I'll, I'll go th- surprise I, you know, like I can see yeah surprise like, surprise but, a shark uh, yeah so to, to some degree you're constantly modeling what the future may be mm-hmm. um, and. And then having to adjust those models mm-hmm. um, and part of the what happens when the, those error signals are coming is they're all funneled down they're like literally the 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 neuronal uh, axonal groups um all all funnel down through a couple parts of the brain one of them is, is the thalamus but an, another is this area um around the the um peri uh highlighted it peri aquat my notes are too small <laughs> no you're getting old this was <laughs> uh, peri oh the peri aqueductal gray it's a it's it's a little region um and it's where all this affect cir- circuitry converges it's also where a lot of these um these um uh neurochemicals like dopamine and oh, serotonin yeah, okay. they'll, they'll flood around and, and be part of this system um and it's having this heavy interaction um so that what happens here is very basic um you know oh this is a category of of uh, fear it's mm-hmm. it's in heavy interaction with the cortex that's going to spin out this uh impulse into um complex sensory motor relationships Mm-hmm. that are taking what was a prior action prior sensory motor action motor relationship that was more predictive and then adjusting to making that predictive adjust back down to the to the um the needs of the moment which are kind of framed 
mm-hmm. terms of the emotion or feelings. Uh, so you have this, and, and this is all, you know, it's pretty well, um, it's pretty good evidence now and how the different parts of the brain work in the circuitry here where you have um, emotions uh, like this, there's a, between this, this area in the midbrain and in, in the, in the, um, in the um, brain stem. And then in the midbrain, there's another set of circuitry, which kind of takes these emotions and ranks them in terms of, of uh, relevance and salience for the moment. So there's a prioritizing, like you, you, you don't necessarily, like if you're in a situation where you're both afraid, but, but, um, um, but also can't breathe, mm-hmm. you might, f- <laughs> you know, cause you fell in the water. I would go with the breathing first. Yeah. Yeah. You go with the breathing first, get out of the water and then, and then wonder yeah. how you got in there first place. And, or, you know, there's lots of very context dependent needs and prioritizing that that's, right. um, you know, being dealt with, uh, mainly by the, by the forebrain and, uh, so from there you get kind of these very simple um emotions and reflexes being built out into the more complex um sensory motor relationships that have more to do with our memory and our learning and and mm-hmm. all the r- different ranges of actions that that might help solve that that problem um incredible so you have emotions kind of prioritizing need um and you know so a lot of the work of the brain is around minimizing uncertainty maximizing content confidence and in, in, in the predictions that might uh, meet needs somewhere in here is is kind of a, a mechanical <laughs> explanation of how of how consciousness works i i think to get to get more into it we would start getting into um his 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 couple of different chapters on uh bringing in this work of carl friston on self-organization um what he calls the free energy principle but um i'll say just a little bit more about where this argument uh leads in terms of practice yeah um because we did we've talked about practice sort of in these terms before where um you know, the, the practitioner, especially ones, you, it's easy to, to think about someone um, who's in, you know, the, the, the golf pro mm-hmm. who is a practitioner of, of a really good swing. Um, it becomes mostly an automatic process, right? When it's carried out, the more thinking you do, the, 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 the more, the worse your swing may become actually. Um, but if you had to explain it, then you are getting into a situation where you have to um, bring various aspects of it into into consciousness um, and into discourse and uh, you know, being able to talk about it, of course, for, for what humans can do. And this becomes kind of a process where something that was initially very efficient and low energy by way of the brain's um, ability to carry it out mm-hmm. becomes actually slower and and broken up into parts and and um uh um having to be potentially adjusted giving given um a novel situation so this might be something where where you know all of a sudden like he had a shoulder injury 
and it's giving you pain uh, and it's decreasing your range of motion. And, and this is kind of messing up your golf swing. Oh yeah. In a way that you wouldn't have thought of before, but now it has to, you have to put more energy into figure out how to overcome that, adjust yourself. So in a way, a lot of the prediction um, work, which originally the, the, the automatic part of practice would be, you could almost think of as the memories. Yeah. uh, The, the muscle memory that, that allowed you to do these things without any consciousness has now uh, has to be put back into consciousness and in order to to modify those memories essentially yeah yeah they don't work any in a, those very automatic automatic memories and they keep trying to make the shoulder do the same thing but now the shoulder is pain so yeah it's like oh <laughs> so at the at the even i think before you're you're able to put it into into thought and word and action you're already picking up on the pain and it didn't even bother you until you picked up the golf club and swung because otherwise it was just you know just a routine kind of soreness but now you realize oh it's gonna affect my swing and if, yeah. he's, if he's a pro that's an emotion on itself <laughs> because he's trying to show people his perfect swing and he's going oh. <laughs> right so it becomes social <laughs> But uh, yeah, so uh, in another interesting aspect of it, so so philosophers will often say, well, is there free will? And and mm-hmm. some some uh, uh, people who are really into the more mechanical neural uh, neurophysiology will say, no, it's all it's all uh, automatic. If you if you can explain the the right set of memories and affect, then you've got a calculation that's that's basically. Uh, doesn't need free will to work. But um, Solms is arguing that it's really with these moments where affect is spinning these normally automatic actions into something that needs to be taken apart, um, prioritized, associated with with needs. This is actually an activity of of volition, essentially choice. Yeah. And conscious choice It's literally conscious because you by feeling something you've you've now kind of taken this position of the observer of that which normally would be not perceived as directly it's it's now basically building building up the world that you you are perceiving at that moment in terms Mm -hmm. of what you might do about it and connecting Mm -hmm. to to you know actions motor activity Mm -hmm. um all of and, and even giving given choices which you can then have internal discussion about humans can do it with with words animals Mm -hmm. can can kind of do um uh you know choices amongst their range of possible actions Mm -hmm. um so uh so i you know he does a better job really getting into the details of how how that's a solution but it's it's I, i think it's there i think i think this combination of of um uh, the physiology, the systems dynamics, um, accounts for, for quite a bit of, of, of what, um, people have been calling the hard problem of consciousness, mostly because they're looking in the wrong place. They, they weren't acknowledging some of this real basic, um, circuitry around emotions, homeostasis, 
right. um, prediction, the, the the highly predictive nature of 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 cognition, mm-hmm. and and what that means for for practice. So so again, what you what you get from these um, unpredictable actions is turning a a practice into uh, something that has to be you know more actively interactively um brought into consciousness and and potentially revised so um that's the work right there yeah but the brain in a way the brain as far as its energy consumption would prefer to be unconscious most of the time like like a zombie <laughs> well, i know how that feels yeah because a, a good nap <laughs> yeah so so things kind of tend towards this automatic practice mm-hmm. it's it's energy efficient Mm-hmm. But the world doesn't let us have everything be predictable. No, so, not at and, all. Yeah, and, the, and we also have that, like that seeking drive, um, which Freud mm-hmm. actually he thought Freud actually was referring to with the notion of libido, mm-hmm. where where you're proactively engaging with uncertainty in order to to um, get ahead of the game, because mm-hmm. <laughs> most animals would not have survived well in their evolution had they not um, looked for trouble and, mm-hmm. and prepared ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, it kind of gives us that, that feeling of curiosity towards oh, an interest in the world. <laughs> but, I, uh, uh, this, this, you know, this is really, really does what we said at the beginning. It really begins to pull an awful lot together. And I remember when you were reading that book this summer and you were excited about it. Now I understand why it does. It does make some, uh, intellectual assembly of, consciousness in a very more um for me as a layman a, a very understandable way mm-hmm. you know, as you were describing those things i could picture in my head what what peter for example said in his way of thinking about practice which it's a you know it's a conscious the conscious ability to continually pursue uh a stream of results uh reasonably uh with constant adjustments to the circumstances of this and the situation that mm-hmm. the circumstances produce and at the point at any point along the the way if you will going forward uh the seeking part you you will arrive at at a moment where you're you're likely to learn something and grow with it so now i'm hearing it saying okay well maybe that's the big scheme but if you bring that down to a even what happens in a few moments, a few instants, in just a few seconds, mm-hmm. depending on what those circumstances are around you, that your mind is working, sorting with, through the emotions, mm-hmm. prioritizing, saying, well, pay attention to that, but don't worry about this. Right. And, and that work is going on all the time. It's not like you don't you don't learn anything and suddenly you learn a context. Now I'm learning. You're learning. You're learning all the time. And right. And I don't. I, you didn't use the word learning. I, I'm throwing that in there. Maybe the next episode on as we continue to pres- to probe some, um, we'll we'll see how some of these conventional terms like learning can can be better explained in the way that his model and your your interpretation of the model go. But yeah. So um, I th- I think we've I, why don't we put a pin on this and summarize for the moment because for the sake of time mm-hmm. and then we'll schedule the next co- part of the conversation. Yeah. I mean we can um I'll summarize it 
um, in terms of, I'll make just one connection going back to, to George Herbert Mead. Um, okay. because I, 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 uh, because back when I was looking at his, what he was writing around, around the early, um, 1900s, he was, he was, um, he was arguing against the, 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 the behaviorism of the time, the stimulus response right. by making a more complex model. So his, his theory of the act started as a sequence, uh, actually more, not even sequence, but kind of a, almost, uh, um, a, a set of aspects, but they begin with the impulse, it went impulse, perception, manipulation, consummation. Mm -hmm. And you could, and, and in reading Psalms now, you could really think of this as not just the social, not just the act, but the conscious act, the act that becomes conscious because it's the impulse has that emotion um, aspect, but it comes from uh, largely an error and prediction, predicting mm -hmm. what what came before and having to uh, deal deal with that as a as a perturbation, which spins up, activates the impulses, is really down at this brainstem uh, emotion level. It it becomes what the salience or relevance by which one starts to construct and literally construct uh, perception. Mm -hmm. um, so so you know it's highly accepted that that we that that vision and and all sensory information isn't just in external information in it's interactive we talked about that with Gerald right. Edelman That's sensory right. motor relationships mm -hmm. so perception is this building all with this valence of of um uh of sensory motor relationships which which Mead calls meaning he defines meaning as a tendency to act which yeah. is yeah. this this uh, adding of what the relevant manipulation of the world might be that will deal with this impulse. Mm -hmm. And so manipulation stage is when one is actually contacting the world, there's going to be yeah. some ongoing adjustment that will lead to the fourth stage consummation. And the consummation may resolve that original need of the impulse, yeah. um, but it also can can flood back to well what what was learned what is my what was the precision of my earlier perception and my new solution for manipulation that then gets that's that basically becomes the basis of learning and improving yeah. one's practice so wow um, we so spend mead, we mead spend had almost two, mean mean bead was right and you already said that i mean you yeah. really you, you really <laughs> and think of what it took for him uh, yeah. to just sit there and thought to think that out he didn't have all anywhere near the tools or the information sets or anything he just yeah, he, 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 philosophically he's, looked yeah at he studied said, a little bit mean? of he studied a little bit of neurophysiology in germany back then yeah. maybe around the same time freud was but it's like well what people did they cut know? open they cut open brains and looked at him and said well here <laughs> just gray stuff <laughs> so <laughs> well we're, you're you're advancing the state of the art and i and i folks i will promise you that we're going to learn more uh, and i want when dave re resumes our conversation we'll, we'll review those seven elements there Th those are quite fascinating and maybe figure out how a little bit about how songs came up with them uh yeah. they all made a lot of sense to me and when yeah you them all together so uh, and, he, and he didn't get much into language he said one very interesting thing i want to follow up on is that play may actually have more to do with language than we might think uh, yeah. I find that intriguing.
especially because yeah. it relates to the social part. So yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll make that at least one episode. So. Sounds great. Well, thanks. <laughs> thanks an awful lot, Dave, for the uh, instructing the old man and keeping making me feel like I, I actually am on to something in, in my fascination with practice with a question mark. So yeah. thank you. And, by, and go ahead and YouTube Mark Solms. He has many uh, good, good, more clear uh, talks about his, his book than, than I've given. Okay. Thank you. Search, search on YouTube. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to anactionresearch.com slash podcasts page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to anactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, and, and one more thing. How could I forget? The book On Practice as a Way of Being is available now in digital form, something that would be new, like podcasting to many of us. And it's a, a great way of learning more and more about what this podcast presented when Peter Vale and I originated it several years ago. So please come to www.mylibrary, one word, dot world slash practice. And you'll see what I mean. Thank you.